Welcome to Theosophia, a podcast for women's voices in theology. I'm your host, Sarah Elizabeth Smith. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind everyone to please rate and review Theosophia on iTunes so we can be more accessible to folks searching for the podcast. Today is round two with Lise Valle, and we're going to be talking about a liturgical play she wrote. In, in liturgical traditions in the Christian church, there are rituals and ceremonies for almost every life situation, whether it be to celebrate and honor the death of a loved one and what we all know is a funeral or a wake, or two people's commitment and love for one another and what we call marriage. And things unique, like when I was at Notre Dame, we had specific rituals where the Catholic priests would come and um, perform a, sp- a ritual around uh, celebrating a new building erected on campus. For example, when we had a new softball stadium built, priests came and, and held a special ceremony where he sprinkled holy water everywhere and said certain prayers to bless the space for us. I've had other friends do similar things when they, for instance, bought a house together and a priest came and did a, a house blessing. And we said communal prayers and blessed each part of the house and, and even used, used some sage to drive out evil spirits in each room or to kind of purify each room. Rituals help people make things sacred. They help us honor parts of our lives that hold meaning for us. In this episode, Reverend Valle shares with us a liturgical play she created as a coming out ritual. And coming out as what? You'll just have to listen and see. It's very much up to the interpretation of the listener. But Lise performs this ritual in her burlesque stage presence. She calls Sophia Divinatrix. Lisa's creative, artistic vision opens up our imaginations to consider other important moments of our lives as sacred and holy. It also opens up our imaginations of how we think about God and implores us to engage in a more intimate relationship with God as holy eros. I can't wait to share this episode with y'all. It's dynamic and electric. So here's Lisa and I discussing her liturgical play, Recovering Evangelical, coming out. So what you sent me is a liturgical play called Recovering Evangelical Coming Out. Now, Recovering Evangelical Coming Out. I could read that two different ways, and I don't know if you're doing this on purpose or not. But like you're you're coming out as you're not an evangelical anymore, or or are you coming out that you're queer? And any like ex evangelical. <laughs> I uh, am loving it. <laughs> I'm not sure which way you're going with it. Yeah. Um I mean, yeah, because of the theology in it could go either way. I mean, because it's not obviously yeah. it's a it's a liturgy. You write this play like like step by step, like you're in a Catholic or a any any sort of liturgical church, right? You've got mm-hmm. prayers songs, poetry, candle lighting, and obviously the Eucharist in a, a, a homily 
So what were you going for? Just starting with the, uh, the title of it. <laughs> I love it. Well, I, I love art because it does something for people. And when I share it, then I get to be fed as well. Yeah. So, so I present to you that title and you respond in those two ways. And I'm going, yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's great. Thank yeah. you for sharing that with me. Yeah. Um, so what I was going with it originally, which is not, it's not to take away from the truth that you found, uh-huh. which are two different truths. Um, all, and all of them coexist there. Um, I, I originally was thinking about coming out literally from, from the cave of studying because I had been studying for comps, which was a very mm. hard process. From, for, I, I had been studying for my comprehensive exams, which is a very, was a very difficult process for me. In the middle of it, I lost my father, which made it even more difficult. Mm-hmm. So, and I was, my life, my social life was very hard. So I, for me, this was a moment of coming out of isolation oh. into community, oh, yeah. which um, I had, I had to put together this play slash liturgy. I did research on, on the stages and different different ways that the process of coming out has been theorized um, because I wanted to be true to it. I have not had the experience of having to come out as a queer person to my family. So I, that experience that I've heard from many people, especially at the divinity school is it's foreign to me. Right. But there was something about it that is familiar to me, which is the fear of rejection so what I was going for uh-huh. was coming out as an evangelical to my evangelical family. Oh. Coming out as an ex-evangelical yeah. to my evangelical family. Yeah. Right? Just as just there's there's that's the similarity. The parallel is when a, when um when a homosexual person comes out to a heterosexual family, right? Mm-hmm. There's the fear that they are going to be um, disowned, kicked out. I had the fear that when my Presby Coastal family in the northwest of Puerto Rico learned the kind of work I'm doing, they would, we don't excommunicate people, but uh-huh. they would reject me. They would kick me out of their family. I had that fear. And what I wanted to do was to practice and get ready for it. Mm. I wanted to tell them I'm not as evangelical anymore. And I needed a community to practice with me, a community to hold me in my weirdness, a chosen family that would still be my family, even if my family of origin didn't want me anymore. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, it's beautiful. That's what I wanted to do. And in fact, um, I wish someone would have done this for me before I came out. Yes, <laughs> this is, fact, uh, as a preparation and even part of the healing process. I mean, 
This can do so many offered, things. That's the other reason why I did it was precisely because there are no coming out rituals and I wanted to offer one to the world. Uh, so I looked, I didn't send you, I have a manuscript for the sermon, which as you saw, had no words. The sermon had no words, but it had a title. It had a proclamation statement. And in my notes, I wrote um, that I turned my burlesque piece into a sermon Burlesque Peace on Fear, a Sermon for a Coming Out Ritual. So the liturgy, I intentionally researched and shaped it into a liturgy to offer it to the world as a coming out ritual because we don't have many of those in our, in our worship books, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I wanted to offer that to the world um, to the best of my ability as a person who has not had that experience, but who can who can identify with the feeling of if my family of origin discovers this truth about myself, they're going to kick me out. Right. And that's going to have devastating effects for my life. Um, so, so I was playing with that, with um, being in solidarity with an experience that is not mine in a point that that is mine. Yeah. I did rehearse for my life. The funny thing was that um, the one point during the service that felt that I was coming out and I was afraid that this community in front of me, I didn't know how they would feel about that and maybe they would reject me, was when I said, I'm still an evangelical, <laughs> which was towards the end. That was, that, that was the moment of more vulnerability for me mm. um, during the whole thing. But it was a rehearsal and... And I did, I, I think I actually did the coming out to one local congregation in Puerto Rico nine days after Hurricane Maria. Wow. Um, so the ass, right? Um, it was funny because when I announced it, when I, when I announced, uh, when I shared the posters, I invited my dissertation committee and one of them asked me, you're coming out as what? And I... <laughs> And I'm like, oh, does it has to be asked something? So I, I thought of it and when and so I made everybody or I invited everybody. They, it was not nothing, everything was optional, right? So I invited everybody to take a like a hello, my name is. Well, it was hello, I am, and they would come out as whatever they wanted to come out. Yeah. <laughs> so so I have my scholar persona. Right. And I have my burlesque performer persona. And they came out as different things. Yeah. So, um, Sophia Divinatrix came out to say, like, hello, I am Sophia Divinatrix. I am a xenophilic promiscuous or a promiscuous xenophilic. And, and then Liz Valle, uh, I am Liz Valle. I'm coming out as an indecent theologian. <laughs> um, and so and I actually use those words in, in my home church in the church that my mom is a pastor right now in Puerto Rico in San Sebastián, Puerto Rico and I said and I said and I took burlesque classes and I learned how to take my clothes in front of an audience and I said and I'm not going to do that in front of you right now but I'm going to take this dress of a <laughs> princess because that was another ritual that I did that was made up it was like six months later um, recovering evangelical coming out happened in February, and then this other ritual that I did 
was in October. No, September. It was September. It was right after the storm. And, and yeah, it was September. So this ritual, I don't remember the title that I put it, but the invitation was celebrating 10 years of new theologies and wholeness and four years of wholeness. Uh -huh. Um because it was the 10th anniversary of my divorce. Oh. And so I was offering to the world a divorce ritual. Oh. And 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 I the theme that I played with so the invitation said the princess and the joker invite you to celebrate with Liz Valle 10 years of new theologies and 4 years of wholeness. And and so I had I was wearing a princess dress. Uh -huh. But when I when I come out to them as an indecent theologian, I took out the princess dress. But underneath, I had a very sexy dress that I would never be allowed to wear to church. Right. In fact, when one of my um, godparents, I would call him, my adoption, I adopted him as a, my godparent. Uh -huh. he's, he's been a benefactor of my theater ministry for many, many years. Uh -huh. um, and he actually was the the event planner for my wedding. Oh, wow. <laughs> when he saw me ready for the ritual, the 10th year anniversary of New Theologies, I said, so what do you think of this outfit, the actual outfit that I wanted for church? And I'm still feeling a little bit hesitant. And he's like, you look like a cabaretera, like a cabaret performer. Right. And I was like, okay, then I got it right. <laughs> <laughs> So that, there I am, you know, they see me coming in as a princess yeah. and then I, I don't do a last show, but I tell them that I learned how to do that and I learned how to take my clothes off, but I'm going to take my princess dress off yeah. because, because this theology that tells us that we yeah. are princesses because we are the daughters of the king. Yeah. And that's an excuse for us to be passive and submissive and mm. servants and no, it's messed up. Yep. So I don't want to be a princess anymore. Uh -huh. And so I take the the prince the princess dress away, and I'm with me, my cabaret performer dress in front of them, feeling very, very vulnerable because these people are, I mean, I am very conservative for the divinity school. They are way more conservative than me. <laughs> but after it happened, so many people came to me, both of them, recovering Evangelica coming out when it was over, when it was over, people came and said things like, wow, you really helped me read scripture with different eyes. Other people said, you've helped me recover parts of my religious tradition that I had rejected because they rejected me. And you tonight helped me see that even though they rejected me, I don't have to give up everything that was part of my upbringing, my religious upbringing. They don't, they don't want me. I'm not going back to them as a community, but there are things that we learn there that we can keep with us. Uh -huh. And that was very powerful for me because I never said that, right. but I was, I was doing that for myself. Right. That was part of what I did. What I did was to process things like, for example, the, the, our father, that prayer that everybody knows yes. by heart. That was great. I, ch I changed the words for it. I changed the words for it to make space for right. For non, for gender non-conforming people. Can I read that? Yes. Please. 
Okay. Yeah, this you was... should do it together. You go, and when you find a Spanish part, maybe if you wanted to do it, I'll do it. If you want to keep going, just keep going. So it's this blessing, right? Yes. You say together. It says, Our queer parent, que estas en todas partes. You can say that. Promiscuizado. Yeah. Promiscuizados sean tus nombres. Thy arrows come, your love be made on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily pleasure. Forgive us our isms. I love that. As we forgive them that exclude us. And lead us not into suicidal thoughts, but deliver us from heterosexism and binary thinking. Yes, girl. (laughs) For ours is the kinship, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, that's so good, Lise. When I read it, I was like, yes. Yes. Oh wow. Just reading it again give me gives me goosebumps. Oh. Yes. Talk about the Spanish parts. I know que estas en todas partes. Promiscuizados um, is a is a word I made up. It doesn't exist. Okay. It comes from promiscuous. Uh-huh. Um so and I, um I I've been I've been embracing the concept promiscuity since I read um, that essay from Laurel Schneider. Exactly. Yeah. So, so promiscuizados sean tus nombres. First of all, I am claim, I'm, instead of blessed be your name, singular, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm making two claims here. One is that, yeah. that God has many names. Yeah. Um, let your many names be promiscuizized. Yeah. You know, let let people commit that thing of making, yeah, from specializing is like just making them even more, I guess, multiply them, like, yeah, like take them from up there where they cannot be touched and rather make them accessible and accessible to a lot of people, to, to the many, right? That's what it, promiscuity is, like and it's accessible. Use- the two indiscriminated verbs. love yes that's what Lauder calls it. yes yes and so that's do. what i was going the names of yeah. god need yeah. to be we need to do that with god's names yeah with the names that we give to the divine we need to we need to make it indiscriminate and and in a way that loves people that yeah. people feel loved by the many names that we use to call the divine yeah. And is that why you use the two verb instead of sue? Ah, <laughs> yeah, well, um, I, I've i never treated God as sue. Really? Sue, in my context, um, there are many different contexts for Spanish speakers, right? Yeah. In my context, we say sue. Um, either... Either when we're talking third person, like mm-hmm. su nombre, as in that person over there mm-hmm. that I'm pointing at. But if I'm talking to you, God, which is the same in English, that's the thing. In English, you is you. But in Spanish, it can be tu or it can be su. And mm-hmm. su, in my context, is about hierarchies. Right. It's, it's I'm talking to somebody who is higher than me. Yeah. And it's out of respect. Right. But sometimes it's out of an imposed respect. Um, Two is more familiar. 
I know there are contexts that that's not the case, um, right. but in Puerto Rico growing up, that's how I learned the difference of su and tu. Um, that's how I learned it in school. Too. Right. Okay. So that to me um, signaled um, more intimacy or on tu, the same yeah. level. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that for me has always been the case with God. Yeah. God has always been a tool for me. Mm-hmm. Even even though I've always known that God is the creator of everything, the creator of the universe, and all powerful and almighty and all of those things that are all all, all, all the omnis, I never called God Sue. I always called him her too. Right. It was God was very close to me right. my whole That's life. With us, right? Yeah. That's the miracle of the incarnation to me. Yeah. I mean, nobody told me to go God too. And I, they were telling me that God was very accessible, that he, that God, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I keep calling God he, but that's, I'm going back in my mind to when I was a child. And that's how right. I was taught that right. God was made. I mean, God didn't have a gender, but we call got him all the time as a proper term right right and it's it was messed up and sometimes i go back to it mm-hmm. so but anyway what i was taught was both uh god's um omni omni power god the big god creator of the universe but also the very close god imminent right yes exactly that and and so i always called god too mm-hmm. i love that I love that. Thy arrows come. That's cool. <laughs> There's a lot yes. that could be happening there. Um, it's very mm-hmm. erotic. Very, very. The whole erotic. energy was very, very erotic. Yes, yes, it was. Yes, it was. Even down to the the song. Were you there? I started laughing at the song because you know there's like this is a legit song that I'm sure. A lot of churches sing, come Holy Spirit. I was just laughing. I was like, right. yep. like people sing that and they don't even realize what they're singing. But That's you, true. But you are, you know exactly what you're doing with yeah. the song. Well, let me tell you some of these things, I intentionally put them, but I didn't realize how strong it was until yeah. we did it. Yes. Like after communion, when we're saying the final words and it's like, like take something away from me and it was like it was a whole other mini it was like oh my god this is so sensual so erotic and we didn't but we were there and then when you read scripture the, in that spirit then you see it differently that's yeah. what people meant right me myself i was like oh wow that's <laughs> it so is cool. a different meaning so yeah 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 i did i did some intentional but some were not yeah Right. Yeah, things just With come the, up. Yeah. Or the level of intentionality was not. It became stronger once we were there yes. doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> why art's so cool. But I yes. love thinking about God as eros because that's not something we talk about in church. Mm-hmm. And so, it's almost like you're making sacred um, sex and pleasure, and yes. putting it as a category up front because. I think part of the problem, and I think you would agree with me, of women becoming um, abused in the church is that women don't have agency over own own bodies and female pleasure isn't, it's been eroticized in a way that is profane. Yeah. And that isn't sacred or valid. Yes. So that you're claiming attention to God is erotic. Mm Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. kind of gives women that part of who we are is a gift from God, right? Am I saying yes. that right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. At least that's how I'm reading it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, I for me, it was a struggle. The inconsistencies that this is what I'm writing about right now in my dissertation. I see inconsistencies and I'm trying really hard to help other people see them. But one that is, that comes across in that liturgy is the invitation to the table uh-huh. usually was, this is the joyful feast. Come, this is the joyful feast. Every time I heard that, I couldn't understand it because everybody looked like they were going to a funeral. <laughs> And the solemnity. That's so true. And the words, the way that they said the words, the way that they covered the elements and they uncovered. It looked like we were burying a dead person. No. (laughs) And so, well, that's exactly right. Because in the Reformed tradition, I understood now, you know, it's, I had to read, I don't know how many books to figure out what happened there. And, but, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, it's about oh, people start thinking that it was it's about remembering God's death. I mean, Jesus's death. Right. And so of course everybody is like that. But it's also this part of celebrating the messianic banquet. Yeah, and that and part Eucharist, is joyful. Eucharist literally means Thanksgiving. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so I wanted to celebrate the Eucharist, giving thanks. And actually feeling the joy of yes. this is the joyful feast How that different. the Lord has prepared for us. Yeah. I wanted to create that, that ethos. And, and I, I think it happened, that joy that we were able to generate the joy and actually feel joyful when we were approaching the table to and share the elements. I think that that's connected to calling God Eros and talking about pleasure. Mm-hmm. Like joy is pleasure, right? Like, yes. I, yes, I think, yes, oh, yes. That, that's really cool. Yes, I'm thinking. I cannot remember the name of the person, but in the in the book, God comes out uh-huh. by Hinant is the last name of the author. Talks about a professor, and that's the name I cannot remember. Who talks about God as as erotic energy? Uh-huh. She says, she, I think she uses the phrase "the professor," not the author. So the author is quoting this professor who talks about God as erotic energy, uh-huh. and so. I, I took that um Audrey Lords, the power of the erotic. Yeah. And those two ideas. And I was like, of course, that makes all the sense in the world. You know? Yeah. There's there's a there's an aspect of the divine that is totally eros. And and the other thing that didn't make sense to me growing up was that they always would tell us that that sex is a gift from God. Yeah. But then there were all these rules. That didn't connect with me. For me, they were incongruent with the idea that sex was a gift from God. Right. Because if if sex is a gift from God, why? But shame, why, shame, shame. If you ever yeah, 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 feel, exactly. Feel the things you need to feel in order to have sex. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, a lot of things didn't make sense growing up, which, of course, that's why I say, like, my gender determines my questions. Yes, me too. So then for me to yeah. encounter different theologies that make me whole, I say that's how wholeness comes when we claim, reclaim those aspects that have been shamed, that mm-hmm. have been excluded from the table, from, from what is to be 
a religious person, a holy person. Yeah. And yes, I just I I reclaim all of those, and and I'm and this is not something new, and that's I re one of the things that piece of evidence I chose was that this is way old in the Christian tradition is erotic mysticism. It was called erotic mysticism. Uh-huh. There's a mystic who calls a she talks about God like I was done to Jesus on the cross with the spear. What is that? What do you call when somebody like pierced? Just, yes, pierced. She talks about being pierced by the Holy Spirit. Right. In a way that is very, when I read it, it was disturbing because it sounds yeah. very masochist. Right. And it sounds very erotic. Yes. At the same time, it was this pain pleasure going on. Yeah. Um, and, and this is a non-talking, right? Right. So, so, but she's part of a longer tradition. And those people, all of those people who lived centuries ago, they are. They have been studied as what they did, what they practice is called erotic mysticism. And then I was like, kind of mad that that's not shared, right? In yeah. church, it's like. So I grew up Christian. I have these experiences. I have these questions, and I get this one answer that makes me feel bad about myself. That makes me feel ashamed, and that makes me hide parts of myself. Because if I share them, then I'm going to be excluded from the community. Yeah. Meanwhile, nobody tells me that part of the Christian community, part of the Christian family has produced this, this kind of theology and of spiritual disciplines and practices mm -hmm. that can keep us whole and holy and joyful. Right. Like, I don't have to be going, I don't have to live my life as if I'm, in a funeral 24-7. Right. right. But that's kind, that came with Puritanism and uh -huh. it's part of the Reformed tradition. It's all yep. mixed in there. So yeah. you're, you're reading it right. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> At least, I mean, and you, there's no way you could read it wrong. Any, right. Anyhow. But, but yes, you, you're reading some of the things that I intentionally put in there. Yeah. I really like to, I mean, all of it, we could break, we could do a whole podcast just breaking up each little thing. But right. the other thing that really gets me is deliver us from heterosexism and binary thinking. Mm -hmm. um, I always like when I think about if there's one thing I could leave this world with, like if there's one more thing I could say and have people hear, it would literally be that. Like we have to destroy binary thinking. Like it is so destructive kills people it's destroyed my life before and um it tears communities apart tears people and their relationships apart i mean it's just it's so destructive and um yeah i need to do a whole podcast on that because i, I just i feel very strongly about that and for you to name that as like the kind of like the biggest two problems we've got going on yeah i'm with you yeah, you had me at it kills people. This is why I do what I do. Yeah, this is why I came into worship, into yeah. preaching. The preaching part, worship. I've been doing worship my whole life. Yeah, I've been doing performance my whole life. Preaching since I got and I discovered that you need the same skills that for law. 
I was very surprised and I have been struggling with God. Why would you bring me into homiletics? <laughs> but I think it's because of that. Yeah. Because we need to talk about what we don't preach about. And we need to talk about how is the binary thinking being performed in the very act of yes. preaching. And because it kills people. Yes. Like you said, it. this is what I want to affirm from your words. Yes. I do all that I do because we are, we are killing people. Yeah. Yep. With our words and with our silence, we make mm -hmm. it happen. Mm -hmm. And that needs to stop. Yeah. This is so important, Lise. What you're doing is so important. I just can't. My mind is like about to explode with awesomeness mm -hmm. and hope and joy how about you talk about the name sophia dominique or divinity uh -huh, you got it that's exactly oh, why <laughs> yeah the, the, let me tell you this was a tell process me all about that that that's, name so was not is, easy to come for. this is your stage name right that this is my stage name your performance yeah. name okay yeah so um i i took a class a burlesque class i was working on a piece like everybody else and I was afraid of showing it at the end, but I put a lot of work on it. And then at the end, when everybody stepped back and said, oh, we're not doing this show, I was like, hey, I put a lot of effort. I'm doing the show. So then I, I make it into a whole thing. But part of the process was that we needed a stage name. And because I was afraid that I was afraid that if I performed, if people recognized me, I wouldn't be an ordained minister anymore. So I wanted to create a, a, a stage persona that wouldn't look like me. And sometimes I have accomplished that without trying. I have, <laughs> in this church that I told you that I did my 10th anniversary ritual, I've been invited to preach as one of my characters and they know I'm going to show up as one of my characters and still they don't recognize me when I show up <laughs> to the point that it's like, you know, I've had, I've one of them, it was like, people were like, Hey, um, can we help you? And I, <laughs> and I stay in character. I was like, Oh, I'm just, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the preaching moment to come in. <laughs> the, <laughs> and then the person didn't even realize it was me. Yeah. I totally looked like a teenage emo. And then there was another time in which was I, I was inside and I was sitting, but I was dressed up as an old lady. And the, when the moment of preaching came, the, the and I had been sitting with them the whole worship service, the woman said, um, well, it's time for the sermon and it's supposed to be Liz, but I haven't seen her. <laughs> <laughs> so I stood up and I said, well, she didn't come, but she sent me. <laughs> and I just, I just, and still she didn't recognize me. It took her a while. She actually thought that I was somebody else that Liz has sent. So I figured I can, I can get away with this. I can yeah. create a persona that, that is different enough that people will not recognize me. And in fact, I sent the poster promotion to a lot of friends mm -hmm. who didn't show up because they didn't realize that I was inviting them. They didn't realize the person in the poster was me. <laughs> so, so that's the first thing I was intentionally trying to cover my identity. Yeah. To put the name to the, 
stage persona, which is typical in the burlesque world to have a stage name. Right. I made a list of, I cannot tell you how many combinations. I think I made, originally it was like 90 something names. And that day I took like 30 finalists. And then I ended up with like nine or like nine names that all of them were different combinations of the idea of Sophia uh-huh. or divine wisdom and then, and, and then divine. And so, and then I consulted when I was down to the, to the last top three or four, I consulted with the only two friends that knew that I was doing this burlesque show. Yeah. I consulted with the, with the teacher who is a burlesque professional performer. She has like 10 years of experience of so, wow. or so. So, I went with Sophia Divinatrix because Sophia sounds the same. There were several things I was looking for. The, the concept is divine and is wisdom. But then I, I liked it. I wanted something in Spanish because, because I am a Spanish speaker first. Right. And, and so, and I wanted the name to convey that I'm doing that, that the erotic is very important in this work I'm doing, not just because it's burlesque, it's, it has to be erotic. I wanted the name to tell uh-huh. that. Uh-huh. So, so Sophia sounds the same in Spanish than in English than in Latin. Right. But right. it's written differently. So that allowed me to actually have a Spanish word. So I write it in Spanish. Right. And people can get it. And divine. So it was Sophia divine. And then divinatrix comes from dominatrix, and people oftentimes say Sophia dominatrix, <laughs> which makes you think about um, BDSM, which yeah. it, it was intentionally. In fact, in burlesque shows, there's, there's usually a host, and the host is the one who gets to tell your stage name, and you have a tag phrase. Uh, I, the tag phrase was easy, but I also wrote an introduction that was an acronym playing with BDSM, like uh-huh. bound to love. Um, I remember I can send them to you later, but some people got it. Some people realized yeah. that we were going B D S M. We were mischievous. The M was for mischievous. Uh-huh. Um, and, but I did want it to bring all of those things to mind. So it's like for me, Sophia Divinatrix is about my, Latin and Spanish and English and wisdom and and divine and this kind of strong woman. So when you hear, I actually created like a whole background for her that was a mix of um, wonders woman kind of <laughs> <laughs> origin and um, and the Taino mythology. I, I read a lot from Taino mythology. I saw some points of connection, like the island of women, like La Isla de Mujeres. Um, I think pretty much I, there are too many cultures in this world that have that kind of myth of a place where only women live. Yeah. And so these women are, are strong. And then from Las Amazonas, which is a Latin American country now, right? So this woman is an Amazona. She's a strong leader, which is true for me and for my family, as we were saying at the beginning. Right. And, and so I created this whole life that is mythical, but it rings true to me because it brings several of, of the things that makes me me, but also 
the first thing that Paul puts in front is really my love for divine wisdom. Yeah. But I also celebrate that in me. Uh-huh. I love it. I love the linkage too of the erotic just throughout your work and that mm-hmm. going back to thinking about Sophia is wild and you mm-hmm. think of erotic and Eros and that type of feeling you feel the pleasure. It's very, you can't tame it. It's so, yes. it's so spontaneous and it's so, it's almost mystical. Like you said, the mystic yeah. erotic, you know, like it's, 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 it's a different knowledge that, that we don't access or use very much. And when you feel it, it's, it's just so powerful and creative and organic. You know, it's just, I love it. I love what you're doing, Lise. This is, this is so wonderful. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, this is really good. With, with that least last thought, I have to, to read to you a couple of lines from the poem Erotic Mystic. Please. Just, just a couple of lines that relate to what you said last. Yes. I drink your milk. You drink my water. Cannibalism. Eucharist. Communion. We take in someone else's flesh. We give ourselves and share our flesh. It's so erotic. It is so mystic. Mystic, erotic. What's the difference? We enjoy God-given gifts. We reach the point of praise. I'm going to leave it there for you to read the rest later. (laughs) But, yes, that's You're exactly right. That's how that poem came about. And that's why it was part of it. Oh, perfect. I can't wait to read all of it. Yes. Um. (laughs) What an awesome conversation. I hope y'all enjoyed Lise. Her work is so important to expand our understanding of the holy and incorporate it in more parts of our lives. The next series of episodes, I'll be talking to the newly ordained Reverend Naomi Tutu. Born and raised mostly in South Africa, Reverend Tutu shares her unique experience living through apartheid and path to priesthood, carrying on the legacy of her father's vocation. It was such a pleasure getting to speak with Naomi. We had a great time, and y'all won't want to miss these next two episodes. Find Theosophia on social media and our website, theosophiapodcast.com, and with our friends over at theologycorner.net. And again, please rate and review us on iTunes. See y'all next week. Peace.